Patrick Brenner here. I forgot to run the the graphic, the the graphic that we normally run for the countdown. So I'm going to do that really quick just to maintain our normal flow. Hang on just a second. Good afternoon, everyone. Patrick Brenner here, president of the Southwest Public Policy Institute. Uh, before we dive into our discussion today about expanding educational opportunities, I wanted to uh, do a couple of quick housekeeping items. Um, first, uh, I have some really exciting news. SPPI was selected as a grant recipient of Atlas Network's Think Tank Startup Fund. So we're very excited about that. I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to open up a lot of doors for us, and we're very excited to be working with uh, Atlas Network in a in a direct way. Um, also, um, because I am me, we got to do the Happy Fourth of July, everybody. Uh, since we're not going to be engaged with you on the Fourth of July, uh, got to get those historical hats in as always. Um, and gosh, let's just dive right in. Uh, today we're joined by our very special guest, Sean Peterson. And there was a there was a great article, Sean, that just showed up in Fox News recently, where. Um, we had a great analysis from Michael Hartney and Corey DeAngelis. Uh, what, the uh, what the shocking nation's report card scores reveal about Catholic schools. And this dives into a lot of detail about the National Assessment of Educational Progress data associated with uh, test scores um, for Catholic schools primarily being in session, in person throughout the pandemic and the impact that that had on Catholic schools versus public schools, which were primarily closed. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to Sean and Dowd. Dowd Muscar, Vice President of Research at the Southwest Public Policy Institute. Um, let's uh, let's let's take it away and let's let's talk about the, the personal stories here that Dowd and I both share as products of of the Catholic education system. Uh, I went to what was it? First, second, third, and fourth grade. I was in private Catholic elementary school and uh, was lucky enough to have the teaching and guidance of several amazing teachers. I remember my third grade teacher, Sister Maureen. She was married to a, um, was it Sister Maureen? No, it was Mrs. Groves. Mrs. Groves was my first grade teacher. She was married to Father Justin. He was a Russian Orthodox priest and was obsessed with the Titanic. He and I shared that in common. That was really, really neat. Um, but uh, third grade teacher was Sister Maureen and the principal of that school was Sister Marae that was in Vacaville, California. Uh, I remember those days fondly because fourth grade ends and I go back into, into the public school system in Fairfield, um, or maybe it was Vacaville, I can't remember. Vanden High School, Vandenberg High School, something like that. Um, gosh, and in, in once we moved back into public school, they didn't know what to do with us, like myself and my my siblings. They really didn't know what to do with us because we were doing uh, geometry. We, we knew our long division. We didn't have to <clears throat> worry about the multipli multiplication tables that they were working on at that point. Uh, I think that was fifth grade. Uh, so much so that I was so frustrated that my parents decided to take me out of the public school system and dump me in a charter school, uh, which was a self-driven, self-motivated homeschool for, for a, a long while. It was, it was a good experience, as I recollect. So um, that was my experience, and I remember it fondly. Um, I got whacked on the knuckles a couple of times, and uh, oh boy, did I deserve it. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, Dowd and uh, Dowd and Sean, take it away. Uh, thank you, Patrick. Uh, I, I guess one might say that the, uh, the the Catholic education system can either get the credit or the blame for the employees uh, of the Southwest Public Policy Institute, and then I guess that depends on what your what your perspective is. Uh, um, we're going to get right to Sean uh, very quickly. I just wanted to inject a little bit of a historical perspective as we as we begin, uh, Patrick. One of the great things about having one guest on our, our our tv broadcast on fridays is you can really get into a lot more detail than you can with with a panel of three not not that i'm bashing panels of three but um I, this, this affords us an opportunity to do a little historical background i'm going to give you the numbers on catholic education in the united states uh the federal numbers that i could find the most recent were or the farthest back were for the 1919-1920 school year where about 1.9 million students were enrolled in, in catholic education in the country the peak appears to be around um not surprisingly uh, when uh, a Catholic <laughs> uh, was elected president uh, for the first time in the United States uh, in the in the fall of, of 1960, federal data show 5.2 million uh, students enrolled in Catholic schools K through 12. Uh, the most important year in Catholic education, the year I graduated from East Catholic High School in Manchester, Connecticut, 1993-1994. Uh, that number had fallen to uh, 2.5 million. And uh, uh, that's more than more than you know half of a, of a loss from the peak of, of 1960. Uh, Ten years later, I'm sorry, 20 years later, 2013, 2014, 1.97 million, according to the National Catholic Educational Association, for the current uh, just I guess just ended school year, we were at 1.69 uh, million. Uh, Sean, the the. Uh, uh, from Catholic Education Partners, that Arthur Schlesinger Sr. once said that the prejudice against the Catholic Church was, quote, the deepest bias in the history of the American people. Uh, United States early days, not so not so much of a Catholic country. Uh, Catholics came to this country in the mid 19th century uh, by the tens of millions by, by between then and the 1920s. And face a lot of hostility and a part of that response was building a large robust system of of catholic schools from coast to coast uh start us in with the, the historical perspective on, on on the church's schools and, and the role they've played in american education sure you know i'll be happy to doubt and uh, you know i got i got nervous for a minute when when patrick said that uh sister maureen was married and then he, he yeah that he, sounded not right <laughs> I thought, oh boy, uh, you know, I'm sure that wasn't 2023. One of those really um, liberal Catholic uh, schools. I think. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, if you've got yeah, none just married, uh, maybe maybe he wasn't in the Catholic school. So, uh, no, thanks. Uh, great to be with you guys today and uh, pleasure to be here and, and always love talking about this topic. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, some really just as we approach Independence Day, um, if, if anybody wants, you know, there's guy named the only signer of the declaration of independence um was a mr carroll of carrollton yep. um whose brother by the way became the first bishop of, in the united states to have a diocese uh john carroll and george washington has a very famous speech that he uh gave from near um mr carroll's home and he gave most of a, a significant amount of money um to support the troops even though in certain places Catholics actually couldn't run for office or or vote or anything else, but uh, Washington says without his funds we we would not have been able to become an independent. So um, long history of Catholic uh, support and involvement um, in America, and the Catholic school system. You're right, was mo was mostly began because the group of bishops in the 1800s um, were very concerned about Catholic school children going to government schools, public schools, what they used to be called common schools, uh, because they were all similar, um, but that they were going to lose their faith. Um, it wasn't about the education they might receive or other things. It was, it was really because the King James Bible was used, Protestant prayers were recited. Um, in fact, there's a very famous case of a, his, his name escapes me, but a young boy was actually severely beaten um, because he refused to recite Protestant prayers in schools. And so the bishops wrote to the Pope at that time and said, will you allow us to create um, an American Catholic school system um, to keep our kids from losing their faith um, in the mostly Protestant schools, which were heavily Protestant until the 1960s. You know, you could still, you still had the Protestant Bible and prayers and everything else in public schools until the 1960s. 
So, and, and as you said, that's kind of a watershed moment. 1965 is actually the high point of Catholic education in America. We had over 6 million kids. Um, and so, and then, you know, kind of started to decline a little bit. Part of that was actually because John F. Kennedy was elected president. And I think there was a feeling that maybe we had arrived or that we were kind of considered fully American at that point. And so a lot of parents decided to maybe, you know, check out the government school system again and, and kind of, uh, you know, if you will, become more American or whatever, you know, whatever they thought that meant. So, but I will also say this, there were Catholic schools in North America, in what is now the United States, um, a good hundred years before the Declaration of Independence was even signed. So long history. Yeah, I believe there's uh, there's one historical reference to a school founded, uh, I don't know if it was the Jesuits or uh, some Catholic entity in what what is now Florida, I think it was 1606. I mean, so yep, uh, we, our, our people have been here for a long time, okay? We we may not yeah. have been dominant at the founding, but uh, Catholics have played a role here and, and we probably will continue to, to, to play a role. But, you know, you're so right about that, that prejudice. And I was going to, I, I know that the Catholic League and Bill Donahue has, you know, he may have his detractors and his fans. We won't, we won't get into that yep. but um his organization and i'll, I'll read the quote um the, the dominant government schools in the in the 19th century were subtle and not very sometimes not very subtle tools for evangelizing the growing irish catholic immigrant mm -hmm. population and i'm mostly irish uh come from uh, go, go, we go back to the, the mid 19th century um potato famine and, and all that uh anti-catholic sentiments extended throughout the curriculum with references to deceitful catholics murderous inquisitions vile popery uh church corruption conniving jesuits uh and the pope as the antichrist of revelation um very really interesting stuff lots of anti-catholic tracts were circulating uh, newspaper editorials portraying Catholic schools as anti-Bible, anti-American, uh, and set on raiding the public till to bring about the destruction of the, of the public school system. One of the reasons, personally, I'm, I tend to be pro-immigration is I, I do think that America is an immigration machine, assimilation machine, and it, and it may not happen with the immediate generation, but in subsequent generations, people, the melting pot does become a melting pot where we preserve most of the good stuff and a lot of the fractiousness sort of fades away. So uh, it amuses me to hear about my ancestors, uh, Slovak Catholics and Irish Catholics being told they couldn't become Americans. I think a lot of my uh, my siblings and cousins who are my age would, would find that in my generation would, would find that very uh, amusing all, all these years later. And maybe, maybe people who are making those kind of comments today should rethink what they're, what they're saying about the immigrants coming to America today, but that's just an editorial comment uh, on, on my part. Um, it, it's almost like thing, everything old is becoming new again. I think uh, people are looking to, for education alternatives, uh, Sean, because of the, the, I guess the modern religion of uh, you know secular progressivism, cultural Marxism, economic Marxism, uh, a lot of these gender and sexual issues. Uh, we had lockdown in which children weren't allowed to go to school, and we have had this explosion. You know, we will get into all the various school choice legislation, but we're experiencing this kind of watershed moment in terms of the interest. Uh, in American parents, in, in, in whether they were forced into it or whether they're just coming to it on their own, looking at alternatives. What are you folks in the in the Catholic education world seeing in terms of whether it's Catholics themselves or even people who are just exploring all the options? Uh, it, it's kind of good is coming out of bad, I would say, certainly in the case of Catholic education and, and, and any alternative where people are starting to finally look around more and say, hey, Maybe the local government school within my zip code is not the choice for my kids. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, for a variety of reasons, we're, we're seeing uh, an explosion in a lot of places like, you know, Florida is just off the charts um, for uh, uh, Catholic education and growth. You know, I think there was, uh, there's been 10 states that have had growth in Catholic education. Um, definitely Florida is one of them. Um, so very excited about that. Um, and I think there's a variety of reasons. I think, we, you know, we always have to be careful that we sort of assume what parents are, why they're making these choices. But we definitely know from some polling and from comments that we've gotten from, um, you know, parents and, and what they're saying generally. There's a there's a wide variety of reason. Uh, COVID was definitely, uh, you know, again, as you say, bring some good out of bad. COVID was definitely horrible. But it it sort of opened parents' eyes a little bit to the government school system, to the unions trying to like 
keep them shuttered even though they could safely open you know a lot of private schools safely opened they went back in person and they and they did their job i mean just like cops and firefighters and people at the grocery store and and others went back and did their job for the good of the country um you know uh a lot of i i think teachers unions not individual teachers but teacher unions and public schools did themselves a great disservice um they always talk about how they're kind of this essential uh building block of america yet uh they basically told us that they could be closed for a year and a half so uh you know without really any effect and we've seen that now with the naep scores um and and we certainly don't want to do as catholic schools i'm i'm very proud catholic schools for the most part went back they did their job they educated children in person and this the test scores are showing that um we always want to be careful though we don't take a victory lap uh we we can highlight our success we never want to take a victory lap on this issue though because we have to remember at the end of every one of those really bad test scores there's a child um and and there's millions of children in America that were not served well by the government school and you know by them getting pressure from national groups in Washington to stay closed so but i think there's a, and then i think another thing that just you know we can't avoid the topic a, a lot of parents are very disturbed by the wokeness that's going on in the government schools right now and a lot of parents do not agree with this and they want different options for their kids they want to they want yes a great education but they they want to get their kids away from some bad things as much as they want to go towards some good things you know as i i was talking to someone yesterday and we were we were sort of saying that you know it used to be that catholics wanted to get get their kids out of the government schools because they didn't want them coming home protestant per se now you have to worry about johnny going to school you know and and coming home as jane so uh you know th th there's a lot of reasons why i think people are choosing catholic schools they've always been great educationally and they're they're doing well there but i think it's also you know if catholic schools aren't primarily passing on the faith and morals and and those things then they're not doing their job but we also have to obviously provide a great education and i think we do that really really well i think that is the catholic school advantage that is historically something we can we can be really proud of that we're doing yeah and i can't uh, stress enough in terms of my catholic education and we don't really need to get into my views on religion right now but but the the moral aspect of that i hope we have time to get into it because one of the greatest things that, that bothers me about contemporary american life is people just don't seem to care about the ethical consequences of their behavior in our country and i think maybe more than anything else the catholic uh, a catholic education did for me is it really uh, inculcated this notion of, of of thinking about the consequences of your actions and you know whether it's your relationship to god or your relationship to your fellow man uh, it's a wonderful thing that the church and I'm, I'm going to say this in a positive sense really drills into you uh mm -hmm. we have these ethical debates and um you know we discuss the, the parables jesus's parables and those sorts of things i think it's i think those that would benefit any human being whatever you ultimately become as an adult whether you maintain your religious faith or not um uh, folks uh, weigh in with your comments uh on your platform as usual patrick has us up on 19 different silicon valley uh platforms we really appreciate your comments uh and uh and your questions um i'll just interject here and say that you the Southwest Public Policy Institute is not a Catholic organization. It just sort of happened that Patrick and I uh, had Catholic educations and, and we are going to be getting into the broader school choice uh, debate here. And someday, uh, my, my nephew just graduated a couple weeks ago. I was back east for his graduate uh, graduation at a Waldorf uh, uh, facility, which is, of course, based on the German-Austrian uh, Rolf Steiner model. And we could get into Montessori education. It, 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 the, the, the options that are, that are out there are, are pretty amazing. And I think good parents uh, look into them. But uh, Sean, the demographics and I guess the, maybe some of the statistics about the current state of Catholic education in the country in terms of, you know, what kinds of kids are you educating? What is the what's the sort of size of the typical Catholic school today? What's the what's the class size? What are the uh, what are the teachers like? Um, just kind of an overview, because I think people from outside of the Catholic world probably, you know, this is an alien entity to them. Just sort of the, the basics of, of where Catholic education stands in, in 2023. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, to piggyback on something you just said, I think I think what's interesting about 
Catholic schools is um, a lot of people who aren't Catholic choose Catholic schools. Um, and so I think that really speaks volume. You know, we've, we've gotten a lot of attacks um, from certain places right now while we're, while we're trying to get education choice, parental choice passed that, oh, you know, I, I keep hearing the word indoctrination. It's like, well, okay, but a lot of non-Catholics are choosing Catholic schools. And so they're, again, they know that that Catholic teaching goes with it. And so they're obviously willing to accept that or, you know, want to be, um, you know, are fine with that having been taught to their children while they're getting that great um, education. And so, I mean, you know, when when you've got Muslim families choosing Catholic schools, you've got Jewish families choosing Catholic schools, obviously Protestants, people of no faith, um, they're willing to, uh, you know, sign on the dotted line to say, yeah, you, you know, my, my child can learn about the Catholic faith, but I know they're going to get a great education. So um, that's a big growing demographic of non-Catholics are, are coming to Catholic schools. Then you've got um, in, in a lot of inner cities and in the in bigger cities, you've got um, a, a growing African-American population because they they see the achievement gap in government schools and they don't see that achievement gap a lot of times in catholic schools now is there an achievement gap yeah everywhere has an achievement gap but the achievement gap is so narrow in catholic schools um and it just doesn't really seem to matter what your background is if you're from a poor family or a rich family if you're you know from black family a white family hispanic family asian family whatever it is um Catholic education provides you great, a great education. Now, do we have a teacher shortage just like government schools do? Yes, I think there's less people going to teaching. But we have, you know, like Tom Carroll in Boston, superintendent of the Boston schools, uh, Boston diocese. He's doing amazing work recruiting young, vibrant Catholic, very Catholic um, teachers to his diocese. So you've got people out there doing amazing things like that. Um, to, to solve some of those problems. Um, you know, we want more uh, in Florida. To talk about Florida, there's going to be a, a, a report coming out, a study coming out very soon on Florida and Catholic education. They're just knocking it out of the park with, um, with African-American families, with Hispanic families, with non-Catholic families, bringing them into the schools. And so there's a real renaissance going on in Catholic education and renewal but we're, we're able to serve the poor. We're able to, um, I'll give you a quick example, just in my home state of Minnesota. It's a wonderful school in Minneapolis, Ascension grade school, it's K-8 Catholic. And they are in the heart of Minneapolis in a very Northeast Minneapolis, rough neighborhood. Um, there are four blocks from the traditional uh, public school and their numbers are off the charts. Um, very high majority poverty, majority minority kids, and 100% of their kids graduate from eighth grade on time. 100% of those kids go to high school. 100% of those kids, as opposed to 54% of their peers, graduate from the public high school in four years. And 89% of those kids uh, go on to college. So same demographics, same neighborhood, same problems at home, lots of single moms raising kids, druggish, all kinds of stuff. You know, these are not cream of the crop, as they say, you know, we're not skimming off the top or picking our students for schools like that. And these schools are obviously Christ centered, student centered, and they're just doing amazing stories. And that's one story out of a thousand and so you know super proud of schools like that sure and i I think that 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 skimming the cream argument has been around for a long time and it's always been very very shaky very very uh hollow um talked about the kids talk about the, the teachers and what i would say is the lower amount of administrators at Catholic schools compared to their partners in the in the on the government side um talk about the teachers and and it seems to me that in all private education, Catholic included, I mean, you've got a broader 
perspective, um, I, I probably get in trouble if I talk about my views on most government school teachers. Um, th these are people, I would say, in terms of diversity and in, in, all, in all the ways that matter, not just a very limited way, but in terms of whether what, what they, uh, you know, what their personal backgrounds are. Uh, they did not. Most of these people working in Catholic schools have not seen their, don't see their role as getting their annual raise, belonging to the union. Uh, preserving job security at all costs, uh, jumping through all the various certification and regulatory hurdles that you need to do to, 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 to get hired and then continue in government education. It's just a different class of people. Boy, did I have a broad range of more women than men, but a pretty good mix uh, of people with different perspectives um, and, and backgrounds teaching me through my my time. Uh, and actually didn't even have uh, anywhere near a majority of, of priests or, or nuns teaching me back in the in the 70s, 80s and early 90s. They were, you know, they were lay people. Um, talk about the difference between the, the adults in these schools and the adults that may be more attracted to government employment. Well, and I, yeah, and obviously, uh, you know, the the while the cost to educate is, you know, similar to uh, a government school, um, the the actual cost to parents is much lower. Um, you know, Catholic schools try to keep that cost down with donations from the parish and the diocese and, and, and generous philanthropists. Um, and so because there is less money in the till, as they say, um, yeah, there there is unfortunately less, you know, teachers are not paid as high in in uh, Catholic schools and um, you know I wish they were because uh, they're they're amazing and we've got a lot of amazing public school teachers you know I never I never like to attack public school teachers because they've got they've got a hard job and I think there's many many tens of thousands that are wonderful um, but yeah it, it is a difference you've you've got to make choices when you only have you know when you don't automatically have this huge budget coming from the government when you don't have your building paid for, when you don't have to always worry about putting the new roof on or buying textbooks, you know, making these choices. Um, I think with that, you know, I think a lot of Catholic teachers, teachers in Catholic schools, and again, some Catholic, some non-Catholic, some Jewish, some uh, Protestant, I mean, all over the place. Um, it's a real vocation for them because they know they are not, gonna make you know they could make a lot more if they walk across the street to the government school they know that they you know could get tenure they know they're gonna get better benefits and retirement and you know they're probably not gonna get dirty looks sometimes from their fellow teachers or from their neighbors for you know teaching at the Catholic school so I think there's a real dedication there with a lot of our teachers and it, they do think of it as a vocation not a job um, and again, uh, they went back. If you look at, uh, I think, it, I think it's in that uh, Fox News article. It was interesting um, that was pointed out. Uh, you know, there there was this um, whole thing around. Well, a lot of you know older teachers were afraid to go back to school because of COVID, and I understand that people with health issues. But if you look at the the median age for Catholic teachers and and other private schools it's just as higher higher so those people went back um and taught and and you know and part of it is uh for private schools if you're not open you're right you don't get you don't get a tuition check for not doing your job and uh, parents were only going to put up with virtual so long but i think there's a real dedication um you know we certainly used to see that with the sisters and the brothers and the priests and uh, you know, that, that taught really for free. Um, but I think that that dedication, that vocation is continued with our wonderful Catholic teachers that we have all across the country. Certainly, certainly. Um, how is the, how are Catholic schools responding to, you know, the, 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 the digitization, uh, uh, the, the, the computer aspect of this, you read these articles about some of these districts, urban districts that every, every child gets an, gets a tablet, you know, and, and, and the, the technology aspect of this, I mean, um, my experience with Catholic education was much more meat and potatoes, bread and butter, you know, they didn't really fall for all that sort of flash in the pan kind of stuff, but is it tough for, for, Catholic schools to compete against the Olympic swimming pools and the free iPads and all that kind of stuff. And uh, how, how do you, how do you, uh, 
how, how do they respond to that? I think it's 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 tempting to look at all that huge amounts of money that, that flow into the government schools, but I clearly uh, all the bells and whistles are not translating into good test scores. So um, how is the church dealing with that? Yeah, I think, you know, the, there's a danger sometimes, um, and, and the church has to be careful of this too. Catholic schools have to be careful. You're not trying to keep up with the Joneses um, in the areas that we shouldn't be looking to, you know, we have to remember, you know, Catholic schools have really led and, and they've always been really good and consistent. And so we shouldn't be chasing a system and trying to replicate a system, the secular system, um, with, you know, whether it be accreditation or licensure or, like you said, the bells and whistles and everyone gets a, 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 devi a personal device and all this kind of stuff. Um, yes, obviously, it's, you know, it's 2023 and we have to have some technology, but we, you know, the basics are the basics. If you get the basics wrong, it doesn't matter uh, if you're doing it on the latest Apple device or whether you're doing it on a Blackboard. If you get it wrong, it's wrong. Um, and so we, we have to be careful about that. Now, do we have to have some of these things because the world is what it is and we have to, you know, we want to give our kids, you know, access to those things to, to, to so they can compete? Absolutely. But, when when those things become sort of the mission or when they become you know the centerpiece uh it all goes off the rails uh, very quickly i you know i would say you know the old thing used to be you know the three r's you know reading writing arithmetic um you know when 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 the new three letters become dei diversity equity and inclusion you've lost your way you've lost your mission and so um you know again maybe maybe it's a blessing sometimes not to have money uh to the money to be able to do all the big extra things and you have to focus on the essentials because then maybe you really do focus on them and so uh you know blessing or curse i guess uh people can decide that for themselves but i think it also shows uh even well-off parents that were able to make that decision during covid to move their child they knew what they were getting they, they knew driving by St. Margaret's or, you know, St. Pius the 12th, whatever school that it wasn't the most, maybe the most up-to-date, beautiful, uh, like you said, with the Olympic swimming pool, but they knew when their child was in that seat, in that desk, they were going to get a really good education. And they chose that over um, the new track, you know, the, the, the new track or the new stadium or the making sure every kid got an ipad absolutely and uh dei it seems to me we had the first three r's and then we had the second three r's which were re uh, i remember in the 90s recycling racism and reproduction uh now dei i guess is, is taking care of uh, all, all those r's um we are talking to uh, <laughs> uh, uh sean is with us from uh catholic education partners uh based up in uh, minnesota uh, talk a little bit about your specific organization and, and what it does sean yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity again to be here. Um, so our organization was um, really launched in 2017 uh, and then really got off the ground in 2018. And um, it was actually started by a, a Nashville Dominican um, uh, sister, Sister John Mary Fleming, who used to be at the, uh, she was at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. She was the executive director of the education committee there. And it was really her, um, uh, her, uh, you know, brainchild to start this organization um, because w she realized that, um, and I hate saying the word system, but outside of the government school system, the Catholic school system, if you will, across the country is really the largest provider, a brick and mortar provider of education outside that traditional public school system. And yet we didn't really have a national voice um, working, um, you know, on behalf of our bishops, our state Catholic conferences, our Catholic superintendents, uh, working with each of the states in coalitions that were getting these um, education choice bills passed. And some of the early ones, unfortunately, um, I think because our, our voice wasn't in the coalition room, wasn't helping with things like religious liberty language, um, some of the testing, some of the uh, other things. Um, some of the early school choice bills, I would say, are not stellar, and we're actually trying to get some of those changed now. Um, all the, you know, the new bills that we've been helping with and working on, 
you know, they have strong religious liberty protections for uh, for religious schools. Um, you know, we're not following all the nonsense of state testing. We certainly do testing. We do nationally norm reference tests. Almost every private school takes some kind of test like that. But we don't take the state test necessarily because it's apples to you know apples to oranges. But so our really our mission is to uh, work in coalition um, with with state think tank groups, you know, like Southwest Public Policy Institute, uh, like Cardinal Institute in West Virginia, um, you know, like um, uh, in in every single state. American Federation for Children, Ed Choice, um, all these great groups that are they're bringing parents choice. We work with them and we're the Catholic voice along with um, the Bishop's Conference and an individual state to, to really represent the church. And, uh, you know, very proud. I, I love to do this work every day. Um, and we've had some great success and I think gotten some good language and bills to protect religious schools so they can participate in these great programs. Yeah, and, and uh, Sean uh, uh, is going to be busier than ever, and his staffers are going to be busier than ever, folks, because School Choice in 2023, uh, speaking to someone who's been involved in the pro-liberty uh, uh, movement, which has uh, been promoting school choice for since Milton Friedman in the 1950s, uh, we have seen success this year, the likes of which we have never seen at state legislative level, uh, and we're going to get into the steps beyond legislation and but uh, in a moment but um arizona uh 2022 actually last year uh the dam broke <laughs> uh there's full uh, education uh, uh esa eligibility to every k-12 student in arizona earlier this year oklahoma uh parents are going to be getting uh, seven thousand five hundred dollars parents who opt into this system uh to pay for uh, tuition for education alternatives uh universal all state all students will be able to access this uh utah uh ESA of $8,000 per year. Uh, it's going to be capped at $42 million, so I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Utah. I'm sure Sean will be involved in that. His organization will be involved in that uh, to lift the caps and, and truly make that uh, universal. So that school choice revolution has touched our region of the country, the American Southwest. Uh, Sean, your thoughts on this wonderful news, and it certainly extends beyond the American Southwest. Um, school choice options proliferating at a, at, a, at a rate we've never seen. Uh, what does that mean for you folks? And uh, 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 are you as thrilled as I am about this news? It's so rare that people who believe the things I believe about public policy have something to celebrate. But boy, do we have a lot to be pleased with lately? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a, what a blessing for all those families to make, you know, to get to make those choices. You know, I always do caution this, though. Um, it is great that we, we're getting these um, initiatives passed and the, and the school choice train is rolling down the tracks the and, and i would say education choice not just school choice anymore really giving parents you know not just brick and mortar options although i think a lot of them will use esas and, and tax credits on the things to attend great catholic schools and, and brick and mortar but um you know but i think that the bigger thing the thing that kind of keeps me up at night now and the thing that i want to really start working on is um you know, uh, we've passed all these great laws. We've got all these universal ones enacted. Um, hopefully, you know, places like Georgia and Texas are going to follow soon as well. Um, and then we'll kind of run into a little bit of a roadblock, I think, uh, you know, with tougher states like New York and California um, that, you know, are going to require a lot of work and probably more time. To me, the biggest thing the movement has to start working on, um, and I've seen some really great articles lately on this, um, and, and I've actually talked to my own board about this. We need to start working on implementation. Mm. It's great to have a wonderful program, but if families don't know about it, if families aren't accessing it, if families aren't using it to get, as I say, to get, if butts aren't getting in the seats, then it's really pointless. And, and the, you know, cause that doesn't help a child. It doesn't help a child that you pass a, pass a law if the child doesn't get to access it. And if there's no uh, there's no desk for him or her to sit in, and there's no and his or her parent doesn't know about the program, we we know this from um, some studies have come out. Only about thirty to thirty five percent of parents even know that they live in a choice state. Wow! And so if they don't know that they're not accessing the program, what good is it? So that's what the movement really needs to focus on. What we need to get some philanthropy behind. We need to come up with some good 
marketing. Um, you know, a rock star in this area is Father John Belmonte. Um, he is the, the he's a priest in Florida. He's the superintendent of the Diocese of Venice. Um, I think I heard the number. They when when the school season opened, when the enrollment season opened, and they you know they've got this great school choice in Florida. His diocese, I mean, his office sent out, I believe, over a million emails and tweets to to Catholic families and others in his diocese, letting them know that all these school choice programs existed and that they were um, available for them. I mean, he's just a rock star. And, and we should be doing that in every, for Catholics, we should be doing that in every single diocese in the country that has school choice. We should be letting families know that these exist, how to get, how to access them, how to help their families. And then we should be helping them with applications and getting on these programs. That is the real work that I believe is coming up. That's the important work that organizations like ours and others should be focused on now. And of, of course, keep trying to, you know, get this for other states and for other children and families. But again, um, you know, it's, it's, if you're in the desert and there's a glass of water, but you know, you don't know the water's there, uh, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna suffer. Definitely, definitely. I, I, there's a new paper out by the Manhattan Institute, which I haven't, uh, ha I'm going to read it over the weekend, uh, uh, talking about what the next steps are. And there's a great quote just in the first part I looked at, uh, quote, resist the, resist the temptation to, to declare victory when a program is passed. Um, there's so many more uh, steps to come. And, and you, 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 sometimes that happens. I've been around, I'm more of a researcher than an activist, but you see that when activists get the big victory at city council or the state legislature, or they win the Supreme Court ruling, or they get legislation in Congress, and they just think, well, the war's over. Uh, now the war is really beginning for education choice, I would say. Uh, this is, this is we've, we've just, we've worked our way up to day one, really. Now, now the, the, the challenge is getting that uh, uh, doing it, doing it right. Now that we were mm -hmm. able to do it, but uh, for people who want to help, um, uh, who want to help get that word out about this, you were, you were talking about Sean is, is your organization, uh, uh, would they be a resource to help, uh, if people who want to give a donation or people who want to utilize uh -oh. their communication skills in order to get the word out? Yeah, I mean, we certainly do. We, you know, we've got a lot of information on our website, um, you know, and also, you know, we've got a lot of our good secular partners as well that have information about these. There's, there's lots of great school choice out there. I would also say, you know, contact your local uh, private school, contact your local Catholic school or the diocesan schools office and ask or your state Catholic conference if you're Catholic and ask if you have these programs in your state how to access them. There's so many resources out there, um, but we are going to, you know, we're going to be getting into this. Uh, Utah is going to do a great, um, there's a gr the group in Utah um, and the diocese there in Salt Lake. Uh, they're going to be starting a, a new program to really push this out to let parents know about these things. So there's going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming down, but I think the movement is just kind of realizing, you know, uh, we can't get too far over our skis and getting all these passed. And then you get an Illinois situation, for example, where there's really not enough, there weren't enough kids on the program um, to actually save it. You know, Illinois is probably going to be the, Illinois probably will be likely is, will be the first program in the history of school choice to go away because of legislative or gubernatorial action, not because of court action. And so part of that is because there just weren't enough um, kids on the program and they didn't have the political advocacy and constituency to uh, to fight back to save their program. So, you know, people need to get involved. They need to learn. There's lots of resources to learn if you live in a school choice state. Um, and, and if you do, you know, find out, get on the program. You know, it's great for your kids, all these opportunities. But yes, we're going to be working on that um, and, and coming up with some things with a lot of national and local groups. So I would, you know, stay tuned for that. But again, I, I think uh, the wave happened so fast this last year that I think a lot of us were, you know, some of us were caught a little bit flat footed, like, wow, we had all these victories. <laughs> now what do we do? Um, you know, we, we kind of got the, the cavalry is kind of ahead of the army. And so we, we, we've got to figure that out. 
Yeah, we didn't anticipate that problem 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, did we? That was, that no. was a little bit of a surprise. Um, I'm, uh, folks, if you want to weigh in again on your platform, uh, make a comment, uh, ask a question of, of our guest uh, or, or Patrick or me. Uh, we are running a little low. We got the three quarters of our, our discussion is over with, but I'm going to bring up some some objections. So we're going to see what, what Sean's reactions to those are. One from sort of the, the liberal left and one from the, the libertarian side, which, which uh, I'm more associated with, but I... I, I think it's a legitimate question to ask, but I don't. I don't think it's as, as strong a criticism as as, uh, as its supporters uh, uh, think. Uh, the liberal left uh, is in high dudgeon about this issue of, and, and our guest is perfect for this because he's uh, representing. Uh, Catholic schools in our country, which are a big part, but not the only part of private education. I mean, it comes in so many other forms, including homeschooling, which is hyper individualized because it's mom and mom and dad doing their task. Um, Sean, the question, uh, the, the criticism leveled is this, this will be a, you know, this is introducing theocracy to the United States, that Jeffersonian line of, of distinction between church and state is, is being broken. Um, I have a wonderful uh, tweet that Corey DeAngelis, the school choice evangelist, always issues uh, on every other day, practically, in terms of uh, money flowing to religious organizations for other reasons. But I'd be interested in your, your, your take on that, uh, blurring the line. It seems to be one of the, ch one of the chief objections to that. Um, people who, you know, maybe they don't like the Catholic Church, but, you know, maybe they're being honest fully honest and saying they just don't want any money going to uh, a religious entity uh what is the what is catholic education's partners uh, response to that charge well i would say you know first one is a is a very high level constitutional principle and i remind people we have an establishment clause we don't have a separation clause um so you know and and jefferson so to take jefferson's quote or his words he was actually he was saying that to protect the religious in our country, the religious organizations, the, the, the faithful. He wasn't saying that because, um, you know, poor, weak government needed to be protected from religious folks. Um, so we have to remember that it was not to protect the government, it was protect the individual and the religious organizations. Also, you know, again, we have an establishment clause, not a separation clause. And that basically just says the, the, that Congress shall not establish one state religion. As long as these programs are open to any uh group of faith or not uh you know you could have a secular uh private school that has no faith connection as long as we don't just favor like yeah if you had a program that just said okay only catholic schools can get school choice money uh yeah i'd have no argument for you that that violates the establishment clause but again it's open to all these we also do this in a lot of other government programs we have, we have funded, you know, the government has funded um, and given money to Catholic hospitals, Catholic charities, other religious charities, other religious-based hospitals, adoption agencies, um, uh, homeless shelters, all kinds of things. It only seems that oftentimes the left gets concerned that, oh, there might, might be public money somehow flowing. Uh, and let's remember, it flows to the parent. It doesn't flow directly to the, the school. But they only get worried about it where all of a sudden you might be teaching, uh, you know, religion or teaching things that are contrary to what you might learn in public school. They, they never seem to worry that, you know, that we're housing the homeless or feeding the hungry or taking care of the sick. Um, though that the, That's money flowing to religious organizations. Um, so, you know, let's not be hypocritical here. Um, and, and again, the Supreme Court has ruled consistently over and over and over with many cases from, you know, Espinosa to Carson to, uh, you know, cases back in the 50s um, that this money does not violate the Establishment Clause. It does not violate the spirit of separation of church and state. And so, you know, the, the highest court in the land, many state courts, many municipal and district courts have ruled on this. Um, so. I just say that, you know, I'm not an attorney, but the courts have ruled on this and they've, they've said you cannot um, uh, actually discriminate based on religion in these programs. 
Yeah, and I think it's so important to make that, uh, just reiterate what you said in terms of the, the, the parents are the ones making the determination. I mean, they qualify for the ESA, the voucher, whatever you, and then they can go out into the marketplace and decide whatever they want. And it's really right. not government's business beyond that. And um, the, the list of, of uh, programs that Corey DeAngelis lists, and it's it'd be very interesting to see people on the left backtrack and say, well, okay, I'm going to maintain my position on school choice, and then I'm going to advocate for advocate for the government to not be involved in these other issues. Uh, I, I'm not holding my breath on that. Uh, Pell Grants, the GI Bill, pre-K uh, uh, schools, uh, the Head Start program, food stamps, uh, WIC, the Women, Infant, and Children's program, Medicaid, Medicare, Section 8 housing, um, all of these expenses, uh, the these subsidies that are that, that originate in the government and then flow through the, the individual beneficiary or recipient, uh, there are uh, quasi-religious or explicitly religious entities engaged in all of these programs, providing all these different types of services. So, uh, to my friends on the uh, the liberal left, I would say I look forward to you advocating the end of Medicaid and Medicare and food stamps and all these other programs if you want to be consistent when it comes to school choice. But again, I'm, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, now, here's the objection from, from my people, the libertarian movement, the, the sort of Lou Rockwell types. And, and uh, we have many, you know, anarcho-capitalists and Austrians and uh, all those all those sorts of good people. And I agree with them on most everything. But I don't find this argument quite as convincing uh, as they make it. And, and this was uh, referenced, in, again, in the Manhattan Institute paper that was recently released. Uh, some private and especially some faith-based schools are, are wary of participating in these education choice programs because of the specter of potential regulations that might come with public funding. And I'm going to ask Sean for his perspective on that because I do think it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a thoughtful criticism and it, it's a legitimate criticism. But I think once you unpack it, it's not as, uh, as profound as the people making it maybe think, think it is. Yeah, and I, and I would even say, yeah, no, I, th I think it's definitely a concern. It's a con I know it's a concern that some of our bishops have, and it's it's legitimate to be concerned about that because oftentimes, and we've seen with in adoption, the areas of adoption, now with hospitals and, you know, transgender surgeries and, um, you know, per <laughs> performing, you know, mastectomy, double mastectomies on, on 12-year-old girls and crazy stuff, you know, and saying well if you're if you're a catholic hospital that receives government funding you have to do these things um you know I, I would say this part of what we do is you have to be vigilant um part of our work is in again in the these coalitions you know i helped write the religious liberty language for the west virginia bill that that language has been used in utah it's been used in other states now in their programs you have to write um protective language in the bill um, in the program that protects the school, that protects them from teaching their creed, um, admissions, hiring and firing, curriculum, all these things. You have to be vigilant constantly. The other thing I will say is this though, and I have said this to many Catholic school principals and superintendents and others that are concerned. And again, I don't, I don't belittle their concerns. It's a concern. Um, but here's the thing, as we know, any state government at any time can pass laws being restrictive on religious organizations. Uh, they just, a lot of them haven't done it yet, but there's nothing preventing, even if a school doesn't ever receive a dime through a parent or, or directly, uh, there's nothing stopping a very progressive legislature and governor from imposing things on religious schools in their state. You could, you could easily say, if you don't use this curriculum, you cannot operate in X state. If you don't, uh, you know, re if you refuse to hire this kind of person, you cannot operate in our state. You cannot be a legal entity. So again, be vigilant, get the protections in the law. Um, never, never ever assume that those are uh, enshrined permanently in stone. You have to fight to keep them, fight to protect them. But uh, the state could pass all kinds of stuff on religious organizations, uh, you know, as it has in other countries. So you're never safe. That's a good point, and uh, uh, I think I think we agree on the on the, the validity of the fear, but also not overstating it as well. Um, we are desperately low on time, folks. I'm going to give Sean uh, kind of a final pitch for a group of people. 
and, and trying to mention this earlier, and I just from my own experience, my one of my dear friends Pete, one of my dear friends Greg, and in, in, in Catholic my Catholic high school were from Protestant families. Um, obviously, there could be a lot a lot of interest from Catholics to send their children to Catholic education, but uh, as the options proliferate, as people start to I think finally break through this this ossified government system where you just send your kid to the local school. The local public school, uh, and we are, and the options are proliferating. Uh, whether it's homeschooling or, or or Baptist school or Montessori school or Waldorf school or Catholic school, um, Sean, why should someone who maybe doesn't know about Catholicism, maybe he was raised in a family where the adults told him Catholics were bad people? Um, I mentioned earlier in the show that I think the effect, the profound effect that the Catholic education, um, the Catholic education's focus on uh, the, the the ethical uh, dilemmas of society and whether you're choosing, whether you're listening to the angel or the devil on your shoulder every morning. I think that probably did more for me than than any aspect of, of my Catholic education, and I I hopefully live it out to the day. Um, to the non-Catholics out there who are who are starting to wake up and starting to look at their look at their options. Um, they may be tempted to just simply just brush that Catholic option aside. And, and I and I'll, I'll reiterate, the Southwest Public Policy Institute is not a Catholic organization. We just want people to be fully informed and avail themselves of these wonderful education options that are proliferating. Um, what would be your, your uh, three-minute elevator pitch or, or 90-second elevator pitch to non-Catholic parents uh, that they should, they should really – Go down and visit and, and, and talk to the administrators and talk to the teachers and maybe sit in on a class and, and find out if Catholic education might be right for their kids. Well, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, part of it is just history. Um, you know, I, I think look at our education record. Um, and when I say education record, I don't just mean test scores. I don't just mean grades or college attainment. All those things are really important. And that's what, you know, when people look at a school, they want to make sure that the child's getting a good education. But yes, definitely visit, um, talk to your neighbors and your friends, your brother-in-law, whatever, that might attend Catholic school or that did or that send their kids somewhere. But we have a, we have a, a beautiful record um, in this country of providing, um, as, a, as a minority group, providing a wonderful education. And I always say we took a lot of um, immigrants very poor immigrants from Ireland and Poland and Germany and all over the world. We took them from the boat at Ellis Island to the boardroom in one generation. And we did that because we offered them a really good, solid education. But more importantly, we offered them, um, you know, a, a moral framework and, and, and that, that, you know, transcends that is for the common good. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's, that is so important today as all the craziness and all the dumpster fires are going on around, you know, in, in the United States today, um, you know, to, to give us a shot, check us out, um, you know, look, look at our education record, look at other things. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm proud of Catholic education in this country, um, you know, starting in the 1800s up until today. So I'm, I'm happy to put that record against any other form of education in this country. Um, and I think if people really um, look at it, don't don't listen to the you know the myths and oh you know the uh, Catholic schools are you know um, you know they're discriminatory and all this kind of look at the actual record. Uh, Catholic schools, you know, long before public schools were forced to by the Supreme Court, um, we were integrating. We were we were teaching uh, African American children, often sometimes uh, in violation of the law in the South. We were yep. taking those children in to educate them. Um, and I always say, we, we always say this, you've probably heard this line. We don't educate children because they're Catholic. We educate them because we're Catholic. Um, because we care about the individual child and we want to get them, give them a good solid education, but also um, a moral underpinning uh, so that they can contribute to the common good to society and to their fellow man. And, you know, if that's something that at least on the face of it sounds attractive to you, check out your local, local Catholic school. There are lots of options, um, you know, and, and, and give us give us a chance. Absolutely. And I'll just end with a very brief personal story. A couple of days ago, I was at the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis on the site of the of the spot where 
Dr. King was assassinated, assassinated um, and it was actually on Juneteenth, so it was a pretty big day in Memphis that day as I was coming back across from the east to the, the southwest of the United States. And I stopped to listen to this, the, the, the 1963 speech, um, maybe the best piece of oration uh, in, in recorded American history. I mean, it, it's just a magnificent speech, and I, I don't know that anyone in America, conservative, liberal, libertarian, could disagree with really any of any word of it. But what Dr. King said at the end was, you know, we look forward to that day when we can allow freedom ring. Uh, and of course, he starts when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics mentioned uh, in that that third grouping uh, in his speech. And I think uh, it, it reveals a lot about American history that uh, there, there was a time when Catholics weren't uh, weren't too welcome here. Uh, and no. uh, they ended up building a, an amazing education system that is still with us. It may not have the five or six million people uh, it did 40 or 50 years ago, but uh, it is still here. And I think school choice options are going to are going to help preserve uh, that that education. Thank you uh, so much, Sean. We really appreciate uh, you coming in, folks. Uh, thanks for tuning in uh, to SPPI TV. Uh, we are the Southwest Public Policy Institute. Check us out at Southwest Policy dot com uh, we want to keep these uh, weekly broadcasts free so it would help the little uh, you know clams or dough or shekels were, were kicked our way uh, we are a nonprofit organization you know our goal is to keep what is so good and there is so much good about our region of the country the best region of the country are our eight states down here in the southwest uh, and we want to fix what's wrong uh, and, and continue to let our region act as a beacon of hope and opportunity uh, for our country, but we can't do it without your help. Uh, thanks, folks. Uh, check us out again, southwestpolicy.com. We will be back next Friday. Uh, thanks so much. And uh, I'm back uh, after my extended vacation, and uh, I will be back with you again uh, a week from today. Thanks for joining us, and um, visit us online, southwestpolicy.com. Thank you.